In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Jack, and Jack, I'm handing it all over to you because this is all your hard work. Uh, I'm really excited. We've got an absolute fantastic guest on, a repeat guest from the Thank You RIP Sashi Week, which was my favourite four-day run of shows. I had an incredible amount of fun. Um, and Kevin Cole, the Director of Data and Analytics at Roto Grinders, is joining us. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing good. I appreciate being back on again. And uh, let's, let's not hype it up too much. Let's get into this a little bit first. Oh, no, I was, I was a big fan. I've enjoyed you. You popped up on a few Browns podcasts. So, uh, it's been really, really good. Um, love your stuff. And just fa- all the, there's, there's sort of a nice community of sort of analytical people on Twitter that you can follow. And there's always just fantastic ideas and different things flying around. So, uh, no. And I'll jump in first with the reason why you're here. So there was a crazy stat. Um, dropped on uh, David Mattock's podcast the other day. And when I mean crazy, I mean this goes to a whole new level. Of I even had to listen to that section three different times <laughs> just, just so I could believe it. So I'll read it out here. Eli Manning had a better completion percentage, yards per attempt, passer rating, and QBR this season when Saquon Barkley wasn't on the field. That's just mad. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's kind of interesting. I think this is... One of the new areas to start looking into in football analytics, and that is, um, I mean, if you're familiar with the NBA, they have some of the same issues that the that that football does as far as being able to parse out individual player contributions. So they use plus minus when a player is on and off the the court. Now that happens much more regularly for the NBA, so it's better. But we're also starting to dive into looking at a similar sort of thing with plus minus is when a player is on or off the field in football. So that's one of those stats that jumps out at you is. That's it's pretty amazing that maybe having him there is too much of an incentive to dump it off and give it to him rather than throw the ball down the field. So sometimes having a skilled player isn't always the best thing for the offense. No, it was just a uh, it was a shot quite the uh, the range of it. But uh, the the one thing that also got mentioned is you've done a piece of work looking at my favorite wide receiver, the most overpaid wide receiver in the NFL, Jarvis Landry. And uh, what did we find? Well, yeah, I mean, this is another interesting one where I was uh, going through and specifically looking at uh, yards per attempt when players are on and off the field. And when you go to the Browns, it's pretty interesting what you end up seeing. Now, I'll, I'll put the alert out there. And I think when this stat was quoted by Josh Hermsmeyer on Davis Maddox uh, podcast, he mentioned that there, there are only a few plays I mean, relatively few plays when Landry was off the field. He was only off the field for about 40 plays, 40 pass plays with Baker Mayfield out there as opposed to um, as opposed to many, many more when he was on the field. Uh, but, but the stat is that when he was on the field, Baker Mayfield was essentially an average quarterback for the yards per play that he had. And when he was off the field, there was almost a six-yard difference between 
uh, yards per play, yards per pass when, when he was off the field. So there's that much of a boost. Now, it's primarily driven by a few plays, but I did think that was interesting that when he was off the field for, you know, almost a, a game's worth of passes during the field that Baker Mayfield performed that much better. So it's a small sample size, but let's just confirm this point because I'll, I'll haunt Paul with this for the rest of the season. The Browns were better off last season when Baker Mayfield was playing when Jarvis Andrew wasn't on the field. That is correct. Uh, but like I said, he only missed 40 plays on, on the season. So he was a very high usage guy, was not injured at all, but they were much better with him off the field, at least for those 40 plays. Do you think this is because obviously not the most agile player in the world, so may not, not able to get deep downfield and you target him because he is the highly paid receiver and in in theory, and in the past, had really good hands. Wasn't so much the case this season. But is it almost sort of a dependency um, to use Jarvis Landry? Uh, it, it could be part of that. I mean, the only thing that I can do is, kind of, is look through the other players who were on the field. Now, there are certain substitutions. For instance, Greg Robinson for Desmond Harrison. That was almost a straight one-for-one substitution. And if you looked at the two of them, uh, when Baker Mayfield was playing, Baker Mayfield was a couple of yards lower per attempt uh, with Harrison versus Robinson. So that's something we can easily match up and, and point to. The only thing that I can really see is that uh, Brashad Perryman was one of the guys when he was in there that Baker got the biggest boost. So I think there may have been some plays where Perryman was in there versus Landry. And on those plays, we, we saw some big splash plays for Perryman. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe some of the big catches that, that he had were on plays where Jarvis Landry was out of the game. That's it's a really interesting point. Obviously, it's a small sample, but it's something I'm definitely going to take a much keener interest in going forward because it's not something I'd really considered looking at. Take this player out. What's the difference? And um, obviously, it's, it's where analytics is going. So, um, no, thank you very much for bringing that all to our attention. Can I just sure. ask one point? Yeah. Is, do you think that some of these analytics is because it's predictable that what's going to happen with Landry on the pitch versus Perryman that's a bit of an unknown commodity yeah I mean it's tough to say but the, the biggest issue is the small sample that you end up having it could be just driven by a few different plays what I'm trying to do is more than make individual assessments is to try to group together players types of players uh, whether it be by pro bowl types of players or pff rating or something like that and then try to get an idea from a group of let's say 10 15 players that are the highest rated at their particular position what difference does it make when they're off the field versus not and then you can you can get them in a bunch of different situations and then you can start to get an idea of how valuable certain players are versus other players the thing with landry is more of a you know a small anecdote but it does match up with the idea that he obviously is not stretching the field that much. So there, there could be some possibility that, that it puts a ceiling on some of that. That's really interesting. And uh, I can't wait for that all to get finished because that'll be a, a fascinating piece. I'd, I'd steer away from the Pro Bowl. It's the one thing I always just attack. It's now a, uh, how many Twitter followers have you got um, game rather than it lacks the purpose of sort of all pro or PFF sort of um, all pro team, something that has actually has some substance to it. So uh, the fact that Tyler Boyd was over, wasn't as good in the Pro Bowl voting as Jarvis Landry was just laughable this season when Tyler Boyd had a fantastic season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends on the position. I think also, I think quarterback notoriously recently has been. There's so many different substitutions, um, 
Andy Dalton, I think, has been to three Pro Bowls, so that gives you an idea of uh, how much it's worth. And there was a uh, German special teams player that got in purely because everyone in Germany went and voted for one particular player. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Play with the rules, Jack. Play with the rules. <laughs> I'm, 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 I've got no issue with the rules, but it should be like popular bowl rather than pro bowl because um, then it gives some balance to what it is. So you obviously do a, a lot more than just that. So um, some stuff on sort of analytics, free agency. What's your sort of takes out there, people that Brown should be looking for, and not just people but positions um, going into uh, free agency and what happens next? Well, I mean, it looks like it's fairly deep, although we don't know the extent of it until the franchise tag situation is is cleared up. It looks like it's fairly deep on defensive line, not so deep in the uh, defensive backfield, and really never deep at tackle or on the offensive line. Uh, Potentially, sometimes you have some guys in the interior, but the Browns are pretty strong there. So when, when I'm looking at the draft, unless we're talking about being at the top of the draft where you're purely dealing with blue chip type of players where you probably want to take the best player available. I'm a little bit more open than some others might be to positional need in particular when it comes to positions that you rarely can find in free agency. So what the Browns have done recently, you know, they, they have Greg Robinson on their, on a one year deal, but I'm interested to see what they're going to do at tackle in the draft. Cause I don't think it prevents them from taking someone there. And like I mentioned before, it's just really a position you do not see in the draft uh, too often anyone end up leaving there I think it's a function of the fact that the the franchise tag is the same across the entire offensive line and it's just it, it, it's somewhat of a value for teams so the threat is always there they're always going to franchise a great tackle they're not going to let them hit the market unless we have a situation like you know Whitworth or something like that we saw when he was just very old and started to trail off a bit but then has made a comeback no. Um, tight ends a position I want to throw out there because we had some discussions about this. There were some other people involved about a week or so ago. Um, I'm a big fan of two tight end sets. I think the only time we've really seen it done was um, with the Patriots, Hernandez and Gronk. Uh, the Eagles have got a fantastic opportunity to go and do it with their combo of um, Ertz and uh, is it Goddard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the Browns could potentially go and do it. It might be a, a combination of Njoku and Fant or Hoxon. Um, or it might be wait until, say, round two, and then it is a loaded draft. What's your views on two tight end sets? Yeah, I mean, I, I like that. In fact, um, Hawkinson didn't test as being that. I think it was like a 4-7, so he wasn't that that fast. But, you know, Fant was very fast. Njoku... Fast, not extremely fast, but he's extremely athletic in a, in a bunch of other ways. I think what you saw the Patriots do is they look at positions from a value perspective. And the tight end position, if you look at some of the contracts that the best tight ends in the league have, Kelsey, uh, what Gronk has had in the past, Ertz, these type of guys, you know, they're not making that much money. And again, as a lot of things in the NFL, it points back to the franchise tag. It points back to the leverage that teams have uh, because the franchise tag is so much lower. I mean, the franchise tag for a tight end right now is a little bit over $10 million for a wide receiver. It's uh, 16 and a half, 16.7, something like that. So that's a massive difference. And I think you end up seeing wide receivers hit the market much more often in that circumstance where a top receiving tight end does not. So the Patriots, what, what they did, um, after you know, after having Randy Moss, who they got as a value at the time, but then they let him go. 
that they they didn't keep him on and they didn't sign him to a huge contract. But they decided what they're going to do is we're going to have fast uh, underneath type of wide receivers, some some you know more quick than downfield stretch type of wide receivers, and then we're going to have Gronk stretch the field essentially. Even though he's not a fast guy, he would stretch the field and he was very high on yards per reception, things like that. And then they had Hernandez, of course, who could also move pretty well. So it, that is where the value proposition is on offense is to say, let's not go too overboard at wide receiver. Um, guys who are at the top of the market are going to be making, you know, 20 million pretty soon. Um, and instead look at tight end. So if you can, if you can sign them, they are a little bit slower to develop, but I think you can get some good value in particular on the second contract. No, that's fantastic. I'd, I'd love to see it sort of your two tight end sets and then you throw in a slot wide receiver that can come in and you, you mix it up with some stuff. And I think in Joku more in that sort of almost slot wide receiver and Hoxon, if you get him, he can play in line. So can cause some real havoc. And the trouble the Browns have got with Robinson and with um, Hubbard, neither are very good tackles. So if you can have that little bit of extra protection, it'll go a long way. Yeah, I mean, typically, like, you'd want Landry to revert back to more of his uh, slot role, but then you're not exactly getting the, the benefit of finding a cheaper cheaper option there, at least not for, I guess, the next year or so. Uh, he's only got one more year, and he's gone anyway, so I'm not, I'm not well, too worried about that. We'll see. We'll see. He brings a lot to the locker room. Speeches. <laughs> if, if it wasn't for hard knocks, there would be no <laughs> irrational view of all this nonsense. It's like they, they watch this literally a few hours of behind the scenes footage and the whole world changed. It's like, oh, Tyrod Taylor's a great character because he told Hugh Jackson what to say in a press conference. It was just like, what is going on? Well, you know, you don't have a lot to go off of. We don't, we don't have a window into what's going on in there. So when you, when you get a little something, you got to grab onto it. <laughs> Kevin, a question for you. If, if you yeah. were the uh, GM of Dorsey, what value per year would you put on uh, Landry? That's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, right now he is what, like sixteen, something like that. I want to—I'm not sure exactly how much he's making per year, but he's in the—he's in the top five. Uh, I mean, the problem with Landry for me is, like I said, replaceability. So there are a lot of slot uh, receivers out there who could give you not everything Jarvis Landry gives you, but could give you a high percentage of what Landry gives you versus there. There probably aren't a lot of guys who can give you, you know, let's say what Julio Jones gives you or someone like that. So that makes them a little bit more justified. Uh, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what, what some people get. Uh, I think somewhere, you know, in the $10 million range, maybe a little bit more than that would be, would be interesting. You know, Adam Humphreys seems like he's going to get a decent amount of money in free agency. So I I don't know, maybe even these types of guys are getting overpaid at this point. Um, it'll be interesting to track what contract he gets because he's someone who would be the the hot slot receiver who is going to be a free agent this year. Yeah, I'd sort of I'd pay Landry about the five point five. I'm looking at the Julian Edelman's. I know he takes a discount, but that yeah. sort of slot player and going right, that's the benchmark. But we're going to sit with Humphreys. Humphreys would have been talking around probably seven point five, but now we're talking ten plus. And the Jarvis Landry deal just moves the entire market because slot receivers. The first one's got paid, and now everyone else is going. Well, I'm going I'm to get paid as well. Well, I mean, I think the thing is with the Browns. I mean, they were they needed to bring in some established talent, and clearly, the move to trade draft picks for the right to sign Landry to that contract shows you the level of 
I don't want to say desperation, but the level of need that they felt like for, for, for that point in time. So if you're going to overpay someone, now's the time to do it since uh, it's not really a long-term cap justification. So I feel like at, at this point, I still like a lot of what the intangible sorts of things that Landry brings, but maybe at a slight, slightly discounted from what they're paying him. Yeah, and don't forget, we've got Duke Johnson who can easily play the slot as well. So, um, And Jack, was he about five, six million a year? No, not even that. I think he's at about four million this year and then five million. But it's without a doubt, he's the best slot receiver on the Browns, if you ask me. Um, and I think based on the Hunt suspension, he's probably looking at 10 to 12 games, according to Matt Miller and when he spoke to teams. So if you're saying, right, this season, he's sort of that second running back next season. If he moves full time to the slot, you can cut Jarvis Landry, move on. And suddenly you've got a really, really nice offensive weapon there. And it's, it's moving more from what I've seen. It's, offensive weapons rather than you just can be a running back if you can do running back and slot and then Duke Johnson anytime he's lined up you can't be in sort of as the defense standard base because one minute he's a running back the next he's a slot receiver and he's even gone outside at times so uh, he offers them different things and it's a cheap deal I mean while I agree with that I would be I would not be surprised to see Hunt come back and then I guess at that point the trade trade deadline would be gone, but uh, for Duke to be traded in the offseason or something like that, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, I think it could happen. It would be disappointing because knowing our luck, uh, Chubb will go down week one, and then it will be like, oh yeah, we're without sort of a decent running back now for the next seven weeks. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah but I, well, I don't think he's going to be traded before the season. I was thinking more he'd be traded once once Hunt is off of suspension. So there, but that would probably be off uh, after the trade deadline. So but it may not be till next offseason. What, what trade do you think we'd get for Duke Johnson? I don't think you get a lot. I mean, you, you just don't get a lot when you move on from veteran players generally. Um, so I, I, I could, I mean, he's not going to be a Carlos Hunt. I mean, Carlos Hunt, Carlos Hyde situation, but I, I couldn't imagine more than, you know, a, a late third round pick, something like that. But the, even then it might not even, it might not even fetch that. That's just the way things end up working with, with veterans, especially running backs. I was shocked we got a fifth for Carlos Hyde. If if you'd have offered me a sixth, I'd have shaken your hand and taken that. So, uh, no, I, th- I thought fair play to Dorsey. He actually got a lot of value there. Shouldn't have signed him really in the first place, but it gave us an option in the offseason to not draft a running back high, and then we did it anyway. Um, well, I mean, the, the Hyde signing kind of reminds me somewhat of the Robinson signing in that you want, you need, you want to have someone there. Now, for running back, you really don't need to fill the the position as much as as much as you would but then when they saw value at least the perceived value in uh chubb in the second round it did not prevent them from going after it and i kind of see the same thing this year even in the first round uh, i think if they feel like there's a tackle in the first round that they really like i don't think there's any reason to not draft him right there um and, but especially in the second round or further one position i want to ask you about and there's quite a lot of debate within the browns community on this linebacker i don't see value from drafting a linebacker in the first round. I've spoke to people like Zach Moore from over the cap who have said, based on the work we've looked at, there seems to be a tail off at their end of their career slightly early, not quite as early as running back, but slightly earlier than other positions. And I'm just not a fan of investing that first round picking them. I think you can get someone in the second or third that can do a job. What's your sort of view on positional value when it comes to linebackers? Yeah. I mean, I think the inside, especially inside linebacker is, you know, not analogous to the running back, but it's probably the least valuable position. And it's similar in, in another way in that the running back gets a lot of attention because 
he carries the ball a lot, despite the fact of whether there's really a lot of value. The inside linebacker gets a lot of attention for the fact that he makes a lot of tackles when that's really a function of what the rest of the defense is doing. And then the linebacker's job is to, is to make the tackle. So I, I mean, there obviously are difference makers out there like Keekley and others who are really fast, but the Browns, you know, it's, it's going into this, going into last year in particular, I would have said linebacker was one of their strongest positions. Uh, they have Collins on a big deal, although a lot of people don't think he played well, or he at least looks disinterested when he's on the field um, at times. Um, you know, they, they, they have Schobert, who's a pro bowler, um, and they have Kirksey, who they re-signed to a deal. And these are three really fast guys. So I think speed is something that you kind of look for in that position. So, yeah, I'm also surprised that that is the focus when, for one, they have some fast quality players. Now they might move on from Collins, but even then I don't know how big of a need it is. And two, just the way that the NFL is moving, I'm more partial to seeing if you can get you know hybrid-type players instead. Um, you know, so some of that kind of like defensive back slash linebacker type hybrid, and then look to look to play defense with you know with the five as your base for defensive backs, and then maybe even go to six like the Chargers did against the against the Ravens or something like that. So uh, I, I don't see linebacker, at least traditional linebackers, as a big need. Uh, you, you got a fan of that here? I'd have my my four D linemen. I'd have. A- Based on being against 11 personnel, I'd have three cornerbacks because put three cornerbacks against three wide receivers. Um, have your free safety and then have two sort of strong safeties that can come in as linebackers. Your Peppers, your Doe and James style players that if you wanted to snap, they can rush the pass so they can drop and be free safety. So it gives you complete versatility pre-snap to do stuff. And then one linebacker. If you're up against 12 or 21 personnel, I'd drop the uh, slot cornerback and then you go to two linebackers. But it, for me, just... Get rid of the position almost. You need one out there to keep an eye on where the running back's going. But other than that, just just get rid of them. Yeah, I mean, it just seems strange to me when you look at something like corner and how a couple of injuries put you in such a bind because you need so many of them that you wouldn't look to not only just address the position for starters, but to have depth at that position before you'd even care as much about having a third linebacker for a base defense that you rarely use. And that's why I may just... Get, get me a cornerback in the first round. Uh, the offensive tackle, I think there might be some nice names left there. Uh, your Yodney Caduces, your um, Dalton Reisner might be. Um, I think David Edwards is another one that people are talking about positively. Grab him in the second round and then uh, I'm happy with that. And they can go then get their wide receiver in the third round that I'll moan about. But at least it wasn't the first two rounds. Yeah, I mean, I feel like wide receiver is another position where you know, it's, it's notoriously expensive on the free agent market, but I feel like you can still find guys who are values. Just don't go for uh, Humphreys who we talked about or uh, Tyrell Williams, who we have to hope this trend of teams overpaying for players who have monster games against them does not continue because Williams made a couple of uh, in traffic catches uh, spectacular catches against the Browns, and that that could be an issue. I mean, I, I like him a lot, but he's probably going to command twelve. He could get twelve million dollars a year. He could get you know on the as a free agent, which is kind of insane. But you know, looking down, I mean, they turned uh, they turned someone like Brashad Perryman into a player again. Uh, I don't see why you can't look at guys who may be quite a bit cheaper who haven't done that well down. Uh, um, you know, down lower. And I also think turnover at the position is not as much 
of a burden as people think. So if guys want to play on one-year prove-it deals, and I'm sure they would want to do that with the Browns because we're talking about a lot of exposure and a good quarterback, you know, that, that, that seems like a great way to go too. If you want to, if John Brown goes on another one-year deal, you know, bring him in. Why not? I, I think he'd be a fantastic fit. Yeah, I'd love to use sort of uh, Baker Mayfield as a comp pick machine. Just bring them yeah. in on one-year deals, rack up their value, let them go, and then get third and fourths back and literally just keep cashing in like that. So, uh, no, why not? Get free comp picks. I'm always a fan. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, always a fantastic guest to have on. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I'm sure our listeners all love it. Paul? Kevin, when are you going to come and visit us in London? Oh, I don't know, man. I haven't been out there in a while. So I got to, I have two kids, six and three. Um, I probably need someone to, I don't know. I, pro- I have a couple of friends who, uh, who, are, who are from there that may get married or something like that. So maybe that would be an excuse. But other than that, uh, it's like it's Disney World time for me on vacation. Okay, fair enough. And uh, whereabouts are you based in the States? I'm in New York City, so not, not, not in Cleveland. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever make your way to the city, but uh, I'd, be playing, I'd be glad to host you. Yeah, we're going to come over, I think, hopefully for the Boston or the Jets game this year. So, uh, oh, really? Okay. We'll see you in the Big Apple. There you go. But no, plug yourself, let everyone know where they can find you. If they're not following you, then guys, sort that out really quick. Yeah, sure. Like, uh, like I said, uh, Director of Data Analytics at Roto Grinders. You can follow me on Twitter at Cole underscore Kev. No. Thank you so much, guys. Make sure you um, subscribe because we've got some fantastic guests in the pipeline. Paul sorted out some big names as well. So we're keeping the big guests going this week. We haven't got you just one big guest. I think we're on three at the minute, so uh, it's going crazy. Paul? This week, I've been working on my combine videos. So uh, I did the 40-yard dash uh, today. And tomorrow, I'm going to do my mock combine. So make sure you're watching YouTube. It should go live tomorrow. Yeah, have a look. He's definitely in the 1% percentile in every stat other than weight. <laughs> Got to see that spider graph. So it'll just be like this in the, in the middle, right? Yeah. I, do the, I do the gauntlet, by the way. <laughs> in the middle of London and it's quite funny so uh, watch it watch your space I'll be sure to check it out it's good stuff go check it out thank you so much for coming on Kevin have a fantastic rest of the day alright thanks Jack thanks Paul thanks a lot Kevin take care buddy